So alright, uh, howdy out there. This is Beck Barnes and Jim Stebbin of Cotton Grower Magazine, and we are coming at you with the universally acclaimed Cotton Companion podcast here at the tail end of August. Uh, whether you are joining us from Buckeye, Arizona, or Doran, Georgia, we are dearly appreciative that you're here. I'm joined today. That was terrible. I, I, I knew it was terrible when I was writing it. I'm joined today, as always, by my partner, Mr. Jim Stebman. Howdy, Jim. Hello, Beck. I'm sure people in South Georgia really appreciate the fact that you nailed the yeah. pronunciation for well, Doran. I, missed, I mispronounced that for a few years before they finally got it. We all me. did. Yeah, they were polite. We all do. They politely allowed me to do it until I did it too often. Like, You've been down here long enough. you mm. got to figure out how to say this. Yeah, so. you got to know how to say this. So. Um, shout, yeah. out, shout out to Doran. Yeah, yeah. So we are, we're back in studio today, as you may have surmised, um, as many of y'all are entering the pre-harvest period where you just want it to quit raining, you're trying to avoid a hurricane or two, and uh, you may be trying to pack in some late season heat units. Uh, we know that if you are far enough south down there in South Texas, you are in the throes of harvest, and we certainly uh, are thinking of y'all. We wish y'all well and a trouble-free end to your season. Uh, we have had an active couple of weeks. A, a, a very uh, We've been traveling a good bit since we last checked in with y'all on the podcast. Jim was over in the Carolinas covering a Corteva uh, event. I think they had an announcement over a week ago that you'll Correct. hear about later in the show. And last week, at the end of last week, I had a shorter trip. I just went downtown here, downtown Memphis, to the Peabody Hotel and checked in with the NCC with their uh, mid-year meeting. Yeah, down there at the Peabody, I heard their NCC's take on the ongoing trade war and supply and demand and this U- how big this U.S. crop's going to be. And anyhow, before I get going too far into that, um, should just say some in summary, we got a lot going on in this episode, so you'll want to you'll want to tune in for for the uh, the length of it. So, uh, first things first, we want to bring you a short message from our sponsors, Phytogen. Phytogen is pleased to sponsor the Cotton Companion, bringing you the latest news to help you thrive all season long. All right, so that is a timely Phytogen ad, as always, because at this moment, we want to bring y'all a brief custom content segment featuring our very own Robin Sichtberg. She recently had a chance to sit down and talk with Dr. Ken Leger, who is Phytogen's Cotton Development Specialist for West Texas and Oklahoma. And we want to bring y'all that custom interview right now. Hello, I'm Robin Sipper, custom content editor for Meister Media Worldwide, publisher of Cotton Grower Magazine. And I'm here on the program today with Dr. Ken Leger, who is Phytogen Cotton Development Specialist in West Texas and Oklahoma. Welcome back to the program. Thanks, glad to be here. Well, last time you were on, we talked about root knot nematode, and this time we are going to talk about another problem that cotton uh, growers can have to experience now and then is uh, verticillium wilt or vert wilt. And how do you know if, if you have vert wilt in your field? Well, verticillium wilt is a soil-borne pathogen, a fungal organism that uh, plugs the vascular system. So a grower can tell if he has vert wilt if you have spots or individual plants in the field that are stunted, uh, wilted, perhaps they have marginal chlorosis or necrosis that is yellowing in dead areas of the leaves, and ultimately vascular discoloration throughout the stem, particularly toward the base of the stem. Uh, you can identify vert wilt by soil sampling, but it's 
it's very tricky and it's, it, there are a lot of false positives and false negatives. So it's much easier and, uh, and more reliable to look at the plant and, uh, and determine what level of, of vert wilt you have in that field. So if you determine that you do have it, um, what do you do to protect your, your crop against vert wilt? Well, certainly the, uh, there are a couple of bad news uh, items on this. First, there's, there's really no economically viable chemical treatment available for vert wilt. And really all the decisions about managing for vert wilt are really made prior to planting. But there, there are some in-season uh, things you can do, like uh, proper irrigation levels. That is, don't under-irrigate or over-irrigate. Uh, in terms of crop rotation, rotating with grass crops, such as corn or sorghum, can benefit slightly. But overall, the best foundation is to plant a tolerant variety. And certainly among our phytogen portfolio, we have some phytogen breeding traits. One of those is verticillium wilt tolerance. And we can match up the level of tolerance uh, for specific varieties to the level of vert in a particular field. So you can uh, have a cotton development specialist come out and visit that field. And uh, we can match up, you know, if if you're seeing a field that's planted to a susceptible variety that's premature defoliating and showing symptoms from field border to field border, you likely have a very, very high level of vert wilt in that field, and you'll want to choose a variety from our portfolio that's rated as excellent. On the other hand, if you have just a few plants here or there, a few areas in the field that are showing those symptoms, you you may be able to choose one that's rated good or very good for vert wilt tolerance and uh, and still protect yourself from that that pest. Uh, Certainly a lot more information can be found on phytogen.com or by contacting your local territory manager for phytogen or your phytogen cotton development specialist. Thank you, Ken. This is a topic that obviously requires some complicated answers, and I I thank you for trying to provide some brief information in the time we've allowed you. So thanks again for being on the program. Thank you. So, all right, a big thank you to Robin, a big thank you to Ken Leger of Phytogen for that. And uh, let's get the ball rolling here. This is our 54th episode, and man, it's going to be a good one. Uh, Jim is going to lead us, as always, in our news segment. He's going to be talking about, among other things, crop progress at this point, uh, the 2019. Oh, uh, another big news item that, that happened last week, kind of quietly released the 2019 USDA Cotton Varieties Planted Report, which is uh, a neat thing to kind of. Uh, dissect when that thing comes out to to let us know you know what you guys are doing out there what traits what varieties what you value in a cotton seed um, also on a similar note uh, we there is a new uh, uh, nematode trait in the pipeline at one of the uh, big ag uh, companies and so we're going to tell you a little bit about that and we also have an item about some criminals out on the high plains who are causing some major headaches to our farmers out there. Mm-hmm. That'll get your, gets my blood boiling, might get your blood boiling too. So uh, after that, we're going to bring you an interview that Jim recently conducted with our old friend, Dr. O.A. Cleveland. Uh, we hadn't heard from Dr. Cleveland in a while. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you briefly, we went to him to try to get him to find some positivity <laughs> in what has been a brutal past couple of weeks for cotton prices. I know I'm not telling you all anything you don't know. 
So we will see if uh, Dr. Cleveland could succeed uh, with that task that we put to him. So anyhow, as you can tell, action-packed episode today, a great episode. And without further ado, I will turn it over to Jim to lead us in this news discussion. Thank you, Beck. Uh, as usual, we're going to start with a quick look at our crop progress of the latest report available to us, at least that would be the August 19th report. Uh, the crop, but basically the report shows that the U.S. crop is continues to mature quickly, but overall condition ratings really, are, again, are still changing almost on a week-to-week basis. Uh, bowl set, as of August 19th, was visible in 85% of the U.S. crop. That's uh, an 8% jump from the past week. Uh, and in all 13 of the 15 cotton states evaluated are on or above their individual five-year averages. Open bowls, which are the things we really want to see this time of year, were reported in 24% of the crop. That's a 4% climb in the past week. And here's here's the interesting part. It's a whopping 11% ahead of the five-year average huh. for this date. So for a crop that we felt was kind of lagging and running behind, uh, it's made remarkable progress from that perspective. Crop condition, like I said, continues to fluctuate almost from week to week. Uh, we had some hot, dry weather throughout most of the cotton belt uh, in the uh, in the past week, and that kind of pushed those good, excellent ratings down. Uh, seven, pushed them down seven percent, so we're sitting at forty-nine percent for that rating. Uh, and unfortunately, it also pushed the poor, very poor ratings down ten percent to uh, to or down from ten percent to fifteen percent, which leaves thirty-six percent of the crop rated fair, which was just a very slight inc- percentage increase over the past week. So. Uh, I know there's been some rain since uh, since that report came out in certain areas. Uh, we'll be waiting to see what the uh, the latest crop crop report looks like uh, when it's released here earlier this week. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned being down there at the uh, NCC annual <laughs> meeting, and they gave a crop condition update as that relates to uh, what supply is going to be like at the end of the season. And uh, anyhow, they I didn't realize, but they were talking about how really the last month conditions had deteriorated in a couple key parts of the belt, especially West Texas, where right. it had been just a touch too dry here in the run into to harvest. And so that may factor into some of that uh, slide back uh, in condition uh, to some of the crop here. So again, we hope we hope things turn out just right for y'all. Absolutely, we know it's um, and even even as we sit here right now, there I think there is some rain projected for the High Plains area this week, which okay. will be a big huge relief if it comes for uh, for some of those dry land acres out there that really really need a good drink of water. Yeah, while our guys here closer <clears throat> to us are trying to avoid. Yeah, they, they wanted to cut off. At we've this had point. enough. Yeah, we've so, had enough. We need some more heat units. Yeah. Okay. Next, Beck mentioned uh, that we've got some vandalism out in the cotton market, and it is, uh, it's out of coastal Texas, not the high oh, plains. Oh, okay. Forgive me. I thought it was... Coastal Texas, where we're already harvesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, duh. Okay. The, uh, we have some local officials in San Patricio County, Texas, which is right there north of Corpus Christi, uh, are looking for some area vandals who, uh, who basically took some, uh, or basically sliced open some recently harvested round cotton modules in the field, and this is a little bit over a week ago, causing cotton to spill out, obviously leaves a lot of damage and and uncertainty. Uh, Preliminary estimates are pegging the damage at around $50,000 total. Uh, These were like uh, 
I think there were three growers that were impacted by this. And every one of those growers who are targeted will be filing criminal charges if a suspect or suspects are identified. Now, the San Patricio County Sheriff, Oscar Rivera, is obviously investigating. He's looking for leads and other information regarding this vandalism. He said so far there have been three reports and 15 modules damaged, but he's afraid there may be more cases out there. It's the first time in his career, he said, that he has seen this type of malicious crime in the county targeting farmers. And uh, in the past week, uh, $15,000 has been collected or designated as a reward for any information on this. Uh, Sheriff said the persons responsible will obviously face criminal mischief charges, but it will also be a felony charge because of the dollar value of the product. So if you haven't seen photos of the damage, log on to cottongrower.com and look for our article about the module slicing vandals. The uh, the pictures are really kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, some some real Einsteins, no doubt. I mean, just, just some idiots with too much time on their hand. Um, you know, what can you say? What... We try to give tips for you guys out there, but how do you how do you guard against this? Just I guess stay vigilant. Know who's coming up and down those country roads. Y'all know the roads you travel. So anyhow, stay vigilant out there. Absolutely. Um, next, we're going to talk about uh, the new nematode uh, issue or uh, product that is uh, about to come to market. For those of you who are wrestling with nematode issues from season to season, comes an official announcement from Phytogen and Corteva AgriScience of a new breeding trait to help control reniform nematodes. Now, Phytogen already has a dual gene trait to handle root knot nematodes, and this new trait's gonna be added to upcoming Phytogen varieties in combination with the root knot trait. Uh, field tests of the new trait have been promising. I was at a, uh, a press event in South Carolina to, to take a look at some of the cotton in the field. It looked great. Uh, the company is planning a limited rollout of at least two of these varieties to their grower partners that are part of the Phytogen Horizon Network for some on-farm evaluation uh, in 2020. They are anticipating a full launch of two to four varieties uh, containing both of these nematode traits in 2021. So it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's, a, it, it's very, very promising. It looks great because it so we know nematodes, you just can't, yeah, it's difficult to keep them maintained and keep them, keep them controlled without, uh, with, without too much damage. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we know so many of y'all deal with them all across the cotton mm-hmm. belt. I will say I was at a, uh, another, another ag company's field day, a bear field day, a few weeks back, and I, I have not seen the official announcement from them, but I know that they have a very similar uh, trait coming through their pipeline, too, that they will be announcing in a more official fashion here uh, at some point in the future. Sure, we, have, we don't know what that timeline's going to be. Yeah. So. yeah, so, but anyhow. Help is coming, guys. Yeah. And um, we're going to end this segment with a, a look at the uh, top variety, cotton planted, variety, cotton varieties planted report from USDA. There we go. That's <laughs> it. USDA, I guess, names their reports in just some very tongue-tying ways. Uh <laughs> But it, it, this has always become what around our offices is known as the you know as the bragging rights report. Yeah. Uh, because again, Delta Pine 
no surprise, Delta Pine brand of, of Upland Cottonseed was again the most popular brand planted in the U.S. this year according to, uh, to that USDA report, followed by Americot Next Gen brands, and uh, in third, Phytogen, fourth, BASF Fibermax, fifth, the Altex Dynagro varieties, sixth, BASF Stoneville, and, uh, and seventh, uh, the Cropland varieties. Now, looking at the report, Delta Pines DP1646B2XF was far and away the top upland variety in the U.S. for the third straight year, accounting for 22.25% of total cotton acres. You know, I was talk- I mentioned being at that Bear Field Day. I was mm-hmm. talking to Dave Albers. <clears throat> he was telling me that variety in particular actually gets a wider market share than even triple nickel used to get. Yes. It's got, uh, it's just an immensely popular variety and has been now for three years. So it's kind of, kind of amazing the popularity of that specific variety. But just to kind of put it in perspective, okay, they're on 22.25% of the acres this year. Uh, The Delta Pine DP1518 B2XF ranks second with 3.7% of the acres, followed by next gen 4545 B2XF, with 3.6% of the acres. So there's a huge gap between 1646 and even the second place. place. Wow, yeah, I didn't realize that. And that's nationally, right? That's That's not by region. That is nationally. Uh, According to the report, Delta Pine brand varieties accounted for 41% of U.S. acreage this year. Uh, Americot Next Gen has 22.8%. Phytogen was 17.8%. Uh, BASF Fibermax was 6.6%, Altex Dynagro uh, with 5.5%, BASF Stoneville with 3.8%, and Cropland with 2.24%. So everybody's got a little piece of, uh, of the pie this year, and in some cases uh, that's, that's, that's certainly a very good thing for some companies that the percentage points may look lower, but they're actually increases. Yeah, well, in a year like this where the, everybody has a slice of the pie, that pie is a little bigger this year than Absolutely. it has been uh, maybe in mm-hmm. some recent memory, you know, with so much acreage going mm-hmm. on out there. So well done to all of the seed companies. We we see clearly what we're seeing is there's mm-hmm. an immense appetite for the augs and technologies out there, the dicamba-tolerant varieties having, having a big year. And, um, you know, I, I think we're starting to see some of these new insect traits making a little dent in these variety decisions. Absolutely. Now, the report also lists like the 20 most popular upland varieties. Yeah. And in those that top 20, uh, Delta Pine and Americot Next Gen all, both claim seven spots out of that top 20. Uh, Phytogen had four, and Altex Dynagro, Fibermax, and Stoneville each placed one variety in the top 20. And if you want to shift over to the Pima side, uh, Phytogen remains the most popular choice for Pima acres. They have three varieties that accounted for 86.7% of all Pima acreage this year. If you're looking for more details, including regional breakouts on where these where the companies fit and the percentages and where the varieties fit, you can find all those details uh, on cottongrower.com. Yeah, yeah, it's it's always, in, like I say, it's, mm-hmm. If you are a cotton nerd like me, uh, you know, I, I, I can get real deep drilling down into those stats on a report like that. So 
Anyhow, is that that's all we got for today. That's all we got for right now. You don't you don't have a surprise item for me. <laughs> no, no, su- no surprise items okay. today. We have too much legitimate news to talk about. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you for uh, leading us in the news segment <laughs> there. Um, I want to say by by way of setting up the the interview with Dr. Cleveland, who Jim Jim spoke with. What was that? Friday of last week or yeah, Thursday? Friday. It's like three days ago. Yeah, and uh, anyhow, the the background coloring <clears throat> Jim's conversation with OA was that I had just come back, you know, and w- Jim and I are aware of cotton prices, you know, day to day, and it, we had seen that it was kind of a brutal week for prices, and and I had just come back from that NCC mid year meeting downtown, where uh, Dr. Jody Campiche, who was the NCC's VP of Economics. Um, she told that room that uh, even though harvest outlooks had worsened in the United States, again, I mentioned a little earlier, due to this dry weather that is enveloping much of the country, we are still on track to produce what would be at minimum the third largest crop on record in the United States. And that's going to kind of further add to these already robust stocks that are inflating supply and looking for a home on the global market. Um, It's just kind of adding pressure on prices. And so uh, after she finished speaking, uh, the NCC's Vice President of Washington Affairs, uh, Mr. Reese Langley, he gave a long and dynamic summary of the global trade scenario and supply and demand. But uh, the one thing, you know, it would take me a while to summarize everything that he said, but if there was one line that kind of resonated with me as he was speaking, it was that we should not be expecting a China trade deal anytime soon, uh, which of course does not bode well for our prices. I don't, you know, that's not telling y'all anything you don't know. Um, you know, and he did say there's hope in finding some new markets and we got to open up trade markets elsewhere, uh, find a new dance partner out there, if you will. And uh, that's a possible area of relief. But all in all, I would say it was it was not a meeting that gave me the warm and fuzzies um, as I left from downtown last week. So come back and, and Jim and I are talking about a who we should interview for this podcast this week. And he said, well, OA generally can find something to be positive about. <laughs> and so I, I believe we, I had asked Jim to ask OA to turn my frown upside down. And I don't know if he succeeded, Jim. What did y'all, did y'all, were y'all able to do that? Well, first of all, I, I went back and checked and it had been four months since we had talked to OA. Yeah. yeah it had been and four months ago, things were, were entirely different. And there was still a little bit of a rosy glow to the market and, um, you know, you could you could didn't have to f- dig very deep to find some optimism. So I asked him in uh, in this as, as we came in. I said, "You have always been our 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 you know our our hope for optimism and our ray of sunshine in the market." Yeah. yeah. You know, I said, "Please put some sunshine out here for us." Yeah. Um, he tried. Yeah, he tried. He tried. He had some lipstick to put on the pig. But for he's uh, but but let's face it. I mean, he's he's a realist. He understands the uh, the issues impacting the market, and he went into them in great detail. So uh, for a, for our market minute segment uh, that that actually went on for almost uh, for a little over fourteen minutes, uh, it's a great it's a great interview. Okay, yeah, good, yeah, it's it's chalk filled with uh, with some good stuff. So without further ado, here's that interview with Dr. O. A. Cleveland, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Mississippi State University. Today we're joined by our longtime friend and cotton market expert, Dr. O.A. Cleveland. He's Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University. 
be good. Uh, I, 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 I'm still, I still have a mixed bag on it. So we've got to look at the U.S. crop, the Indian crop, Brazilian crop to tell us on one side, on the supply side, where the market's going to go. We know China has a big crop. Their warehouses are already full. Uh, so we, we've got to look at these three big crops. If, if the U.S. crop, if it drops back down to, say, 21 million, uh, off of USDA's 22 and a half, it's still a big crop. We're still going to build inventory. We're still going to build carryover. So from the production side, we're just a little bit uh, jacked up to the negative side with all the big crop coming in, even if U.S. is a million, million and a half below where we are today. Mm-hmm. Looking, uh, 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 you know, we've got a lot of hope for, for a bullish market. We'll bend on India, but India has had great range now for two weeks. They're back on track. They harvest 10 months out of the year, uh, so and, and, and they plant 10 months out of the year. So it, it's, uh, it's a situation that uh, the Indian crop uh, has a lot of, wiggle room with respect to its agronomic conditions and its growing conditions. So they're doing actually fine uh, in the scheme of things. On the demand side, again, I mentioned that the Chinese warehouses are full of cotton already, uh, and they've not harvested their crop yet. So China has a, a, a plenty of inventory on hand. They don't even need U.S. cotton if the tariff was thrown off. Yeah, there's a thousand bales, ten thousand bales, fifteen thousand bales every now and then that they can fit in because of grades and staples and things. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't they don't really need any US cotton at all. What a, uh, let me let me ask you a question. What about contracts that are already in place? Any chance that we're gonna see some cancellations? Yes, we've got we're pushing now eight million bales of cotton uh, on the books that have been sold. We've only delivered of that eight million about seven hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So you know, we still round number seven to eight million bales of cotton. I would anticipate that a minimum of two million of that will be canceled. This is cotton that's been sold at much higher prices, and it just makes absolutely no sense uh, for any textile mill to honor their contract. Uh, it, it's not necessarily considerable, considered dishonorable to back out of those contracts. Mm-hmm. It's become part of the business now. So with this much cotton booked, again, about 8 million of which little over 7 million that remains to be shipped, we're going to see probably about 2 million bales that, that, that are going to get canceled. Uh, and, and why not? It's booked at uh, 78 cents, 80 cents, and 85 cents, and all the way up to 90 cents. So it'll get canceled. It's just a matter of timing. Uh, last week's export sales report was very strong, just roughly 350 million bales. Folks got excited. I got excited, but we failed to remember that how much is going to get canceled. This week, uh, round number is 150,000. Uh, it's going to be more like what's going to turn out to be on what we'll see on a permanent basis. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we see cotton coming down wild, cotton below 60 cents. We, we don't take this market share back to polyester. Well, polyester is at a record low. Polyester's in the 40s. Polyester's in the low 40s. So cotton is still expensive compared to polyester. The, the marketplace has just been a big, huge burst to cotton. I'll say it this way. It's a burst. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, it's, uh, we're seeing declining consumption in China. It's getting worse. We're seeing textile mills in China operating at uh, 50%, 75% capacity. Vietnam's going very strong. 
uh, Bangladesh, uh, USDA pulled out there at their, uh, production last month, not this month, but last month, but, uh, reports I still got out of Bangladesh are equal very strong in buying cotton. So mm-hmm. everywhere but China is doing good, but world consumption vis-a-vis China, the Chinese middle class, they are really suffering. The Chinese economy is actually rather suffering a great deal. So consequently, the Chinese uh, are not buying the apparel. That's where the pay to draw down is, is in China. So we're, we're starting to see apparel inventory increase. We're seeing yarn stocks increase, and mills are beginning to make paper slowdowns. Well, I know when several weeks ago when, when USDA released their world supply demand report for August, I think, you know, a lot of people looked at that and just went, where are these numbers coming from? What in the world are you doing? Uh, we're not we're not necessarily believing these numbers, and it wasn't just cotton; it was across all crops. It seemed like any chance that we've got the September report is going to kind of soothe some of those waters a little bit for us. Well, I I, I would hope so. I'm, I'm trying to talk to uh, to some of my agronomist friends. I woke up in the middle of the night, but just thinking out loud about cotton, really because I couldn't sleep. But uh, says, "Where's George Mullendorf?" Maybe two to three to four years from now, but 
I think people started talking last year about a recession because on average the U.S. has a recession about every 10 years. So, mm-hmm. so it's time. But it may be 20 years before we have a recession. And vis-a-vis that regard, uh, China managed to come in a tremendous difference here in the U.S. Uh, China, in a sense, never has had a recession uh, or hadn't had one in 20 years. So um, that's not to say we need an economy like theirs at all. It's just the way, uh, way things are managed. Uh, we're freer here. Yeah. And but so I, I think to say a recession is looming is just uh, trying to talk about something we really don't know about and we're bet, betting on the odds, betting on the cost. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I, as, as we talked briefly this morning, uh, you know, today we got the, ner- the word that uh, that China is, is planning to, uh, I guess, add more tariffs in retaliation to some of the tariffs that that our president has has threatened to add. And uh, you know, looking at some that may start September first, and others that uh, will join the list in December. And, and notice that cotton was on that list for December. Uh, is are we just in a long term game at this point? I think we're very much in a long-term game. Game. I don't think. Uh, I don't think a Chinese tariff now vis-a-vis cotton is as in actually any meaning whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, those that think that uh, fail to realize that uh, the, the the cotton market and trading and the flow patterns that we saw up until two years ago have completely changed, and we will not. I'll underline that we will not go back. To that situation, it's history, it's toast, it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, China itself is going to reduce its its the demand for cotton. It, the, the Chinese textile industries are moving their uh, industries out of China themselves and to uh, the other uh, countries in Southeast Asia. So you know the the, the, the demand in China has just completely changed. Uh, again, as I mentioned, China doesn't need our cotton. They can put that tariff on. China made a political decision, rightly or wrongly, and their decision to respond to the tariff to fight the U.S. government was to go directly to the farm level and to see if they could destroy the U.S. farm economy. And that's their play, that's their ploy to try to get the tariff against them offset. Uh, so that's why we agriculture got involved with the tariff. The, the trade war never was about agriculture. Uh, but China has used that, uh, our industry as an, in an effort to, to stop one uh, move. So it's, it's, that's just what we're seeing. And, uh, the, 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 as we well know, the U.S. government pumped a lot of money into trying to offset that. And everything we see says they'll continue to do that. Okay. Well, Wayne, we're going to have to, uh, to cut it off, I think, for this segment. We're not going to wait four months to do this again. Well, we'll get the prices up then if you want. Okay, yeah, why don't you work on that for us? As always, it's a pleasure visiting with you, and and we always, as usual, thank you for your input and insights. And with that, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. So, all right. Well, we want to give a big thank you to Dr. Owe for always being a friend to us, more importantly, a friend to the U.S. cotton farmer and for always being so on top of his game. Uh, We appreciate him. So, okay, that's going to just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to thank Phytogen for sponsoring us, and we want to thank you, dear listener, sincerely for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, tell your farmer buddies about us. 
And uh, they can get to our podcast in three easy ways. The first is going to cottongrower.com forward slash companion. And you will find there a landing page with all 54 of our episodes archived. The second, they can subscribe to our channel on iTunes or Podbeam or wherever it is that you find your podcast these days. We are there. Simply search for The Cotton Companion. And the third way, the best way to find each episode is to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, which Jim creates. It's got all of the news that's fit to fit to fit in your e-news <laughs> inbox. <laughs> you can do that by simply going to www.cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, make sure you're following us on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Uh, we hope that you're enjoying our latest issue, which should be the August-September here if you wait a week before listening to this. The August-September will be hitting your mailbox uh, at some point in that uh, end of that first week of September, beginning of the second week. This podcast is produced by Mr. Tyler Hatch, who works at the Mothership Meister Media Worldwide in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you here in two weeks for the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stebman, we wish you, your farm, and your family all the best. Phytogen thanks you for listening to this edition of The Cotton Companion. To learn how you can thrive with Phytogen, go to phytogen.com. <laughs>